Welcome to the Yukon RUF podcast. RUF at Yukon is a ministry that relies completely on the financial support of churches and individuals like you in order to serve the Yukon community. You can support RUF at Yukon by going to ruf.org slash Yukon. So yeah, we're going to be looking at this passage from the Sermon on the Mount, and um, you know, up to this point, if you've been here, you know that uh, Jesus has been saying some amazing things, um, and it's been about grace. You know, he started the Sermon on the Mount by saying, "Blessed are the poor in spirit," and it's this way of saying like you don't have to have it together for Jesus to welcome you, uh, but. Uh, now Jesus kind of turns to this question of like, and this is what people would be wondering as they were listening is like, but Jesus, like, do you care about obedience still? Like, is it important to be holy to you? Like, what about the Old Testament? What about all the laws? What about the Bible? Like, we're supposed to take that. It kind of seems like maybe you're not serious about it. And are you just like providing an easy way out? Is You know, what is going on here? And maybe you've wondered about that question before too. And so that's what Jesus is going to talk about. So we're going to look at Matthew 5, uh, starting in verse 17. And it should be up on your screen. Yeah, there it is. Okay. Um, This is Jesus. And he says, do not think that I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. For truly I say to you, until heaven and earth pass away, not an iota, not a dot will pass from the law until all is accomplished. Therefore, whoever relaxes one of the least of these commandments and teaches others to do the same will be called least in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever does them and teaches them will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. For I tell you, unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and Pharisees, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. You have heard that it was said to those of old, you shall not murder, and whoever murders will be liable to judgment. But I say to you that everyone who is angry with his brother will be liable to judgment. Whoever insults his brother will be liable to the council, and whoever says you fool will be liable to the hell of fire. So if you're offering your gift at the altar and there remember that your brother has something against you, leave your gift there before the altar and go. First be reconciled to your brother. And then come after, come offer, come and offer your gift. Come to terms quickly with your accuser while you are going with him to court, lest your accuser hand you over to the judge and the judge to the guard and you be put in prison. Truly, I say to you, you will never get out until you have paid the last penny. Uh, Okay, so uh, this is God's word. And, you know, if you've been here, then you know that we've been looking at this vision of God's kingdom uh, that Jesus is unpacking. And he's just been talking about how God's kingdom has come and it's a new world order. It's different. Um, You know, we live in a world that's upside down, we've been saying, and the king has come. And he gets to this point now where people who are listening would be wondering, like, what about the law? Like, we've been supposed to have been obeying this law that you gave the Old Testament is what they have in mind with all its laws and all the history that it gives of God's people. And it's like, you know, how does what you're saying, Jesus, fit in with all of that? And I just want to give us three kind of 
things to look at today. I want to look at the goodness of the law and then the depth of the law and finally the fulfillment of the law and what Jesus means by that. So uh, first of all, the goodness of the law. Uh, This passage begins with a very just direct answer to this question of like, Jesus, do you care about the law? Uh, it's actually really intense. Like those first few verses are like, yeah, I care about, this is how much I care about the law. Like not one dot of the law can be ever erased. Like it won't pass away. You need to be serious about God's law. Everything it says in the Old Testament, uh, it won't pass away. It's essential to what the world is. And you may be thinking to yourself, and I think a lot of people think this, like, you know, I don't like laws, though. Like, I don't, I don't, I'm not comfortable with that, this idea. And what I want you to see is that we always live according to laws. Uh, even if we don't like laws, we live according to them. Uh, for instance, the human body functions according to laws. Like, what does the human body need? Uh, it needs healthy food, ideally, right? And it needs sleep and it needs uh, exercise ideally and these are just law like the human body needs these things now can you can you break these laws of course you can in college many people do and uh, when you do you find out that life becomes a shadow of what it's meant to be so you know you can not sleep but it doesn't feel good and you can eat bad things and after a while you notice that you don't feel as good um, keeping God's law is like that you know eating sleeping exercising but on a cosmic level on a soul level. It's just God's law, his rules, the way he designed the world. It's, it's what we need. It's what our souls need. It's what our world needs. And one of the things that Jesus is addressing here is this tendency we have to think of the law as like a, bl- a burden rather than a blessing. Um, you know, like we feel burdened by the rules, but not blessed by them. And, you know, we think of God, you know, the Bible and the Old Testament talks of judgment often. And we think like, ooh, I don't like judgment. But in the Bible, God's judgment is always making the world the way it's supposed to be again. It's always for the good of the world. Um, You know, God telling us how to live is for our good always in the Bible. It's ne- there's never any time in the Bible when it's like, just do this thing just because I said so. Uh, there's always goodness in view. Uh, so I want you to think about your own, you know, how do you think about God's rules, his commands, his laws? Uh, how do you know if you think of them more as a burden than a blessing? Uh, one way is that if you're very concerned with like unfairness and uh, people around you maybe not having to work as hard as you do, or if you have a tough time with forgiveness, it might be a sign that uh, you actually view God's law as a burden rather than just a blessing. And you got to see at this point, Jesus is speaking to people that are way more concerned with like how they measure up with the people around them uh, than they are about just like loving God and obeying God because he's good. And here Jesus is like, of course the law is good. It's unquestionably good. It will always stay. But then he gets into this next idea of the depth of the law. And this is where he kind of begins to answer the question. And it's where we often get hung up because he says an amazing thing. He says, 
Unless your righteousness exceeds the scribes and the Pharisees, you will not enter the kingdom of heaven. And if you were there when Jesus said that, you would be like, what? Because the Pharisees were like, just the, like we think of them kind of negatively today, but back then they were just the most respected people there were. And no one questioned that these guys like knew God and knew what was up. And Jesus here says, no, your righteousness has to exceed theirs. And just to give you an idea, like these were the guys that just like combed through the Bible over and over again and looked for rules to follow and wrote down all the rules in one place so they could follow them. Uh, If there was a Pharisee at Yukon today, they would, if they found a dollar on the ground, like before they did anything else, they would go like make change and bring 10 cents to the nearest church or something like that. Like they were just like, you know, we're going to just do everything right as much as we can. And so the question in the mind of the hearers would be, well, how could we possibly exceed that? Like these guys just like live by the book. I have a friend uh, who told me this story a while ago. He, uh, it's about a friend of his that uh, she was a photographer and she moved to New York City. So she's from some other town, I forget where, moved to New York City to do photography, professional photographer, moved into a, like one of those like tiny apartments in New York, but like had a dog with her, and which was good because she was brand new in New York. But then sad story, her dog died and she's new in New York City. And, you know, she's thinking like, okay, was not expecting this. What do I do in New York when my dog dies? Like, how do you handle that? And so she called her vet and the vet was like, well, we can take care of it for you, but you need to like actually bring your dog here. And so she's like, well, how am I going to bring my dead dog there in New York City? And and so she, as she looked around her apartment, she found like one some like black duffel bag, like you know, it said like Nikon or Canon or some camera brand on it, you know, some for some like camera equipment and put her dog in that heavy dog and like lugging this big black camera bag onto the subway, struggling with it. And a guy walks up to her and he's like, excuse me, can I help you with that? And she's like thinking like, oh, thank you. Like, yeah. And as he walks over to her, he like slugs her, steals the bag and just runs off with it because he thinks he's stealing something expensive. What is he actually stealing? A dead dog. Okay. Uh, it's the point is it's possible for what's on the outside to indicate very little about what's on the inside. The reason Jesus has so much conflict with religious leaders is not because they like love God's law and he doesn't, but because he teaches that the law goes so much deeper than they want to admit. Uh, than any of us want to admit. And it often has little to do with like what we show on the outside. Uh, and, and here in this passage, Jesus gives this clarifying example of what he's talking about with anger and murder. And he does it again. Next week, we'll look at lust, which is just such a fascinating discussion. So definitely come back for that. Uh, but uh, this week, you know, he's, he talks about anger. And he basically says, like, if you're angry, angry like that is murder. Um, in in this discussion, like it's a little complex, you know, anger is a complex thing, but you know, 
the bottom line is that we tend to compare ourselves to other people. And I don't know if you're like, if you're like me, you've had this thought before where you're like sitting wondering if you're a good person and you think, well, you, and you start to compare yourself to other people and you think like, and you actually say like, I've never murdered someone. Like <laughs> there's a lot of people who have murdered someone. I haven't. So that must be something, right? And uh, Jesus, so Jesus is kind of addressing that and he talks about insulting. He talks about anger. He talks about uh, saying you fool and insulting people. And the idea there with insulting, like what he has in view is like dismissing someone. Um, in other words, wishing that someone would just go away. Like that's kind of what he means by insulting someone in this passage. And, you know, so the way we would translate that today is the things we say to people like F you or go to hell or like just forget about that guy or whatever. You know, if you've ever said that in your heart, then what you're doing is you're dismissing someone. You're essentially saying like, it doesn't matter if this person exists or not. And Jesus is saying here, like, if you've thought that, that is hellish. You know, who cares if you've never actually pulled out a gun and shot someone like you've thought it. And that's in your heart. And he goes on to just give warnings about any kind of conflict. Like there's even this point in the passage where he says, like, even if someone's mad at you, like you need to go to them and make it right. Um, In other words, like when God's like what's behind the law, do not murder is actually like, Go pursue people, even if they're mad at you and it's their problem. Like you go to them and you do that every time. Okay, so are you feeling the depth of God's law yet? Like it goes so much deeper than these Pharisees want to admit, these religious leaders. Um, I I think about it like two acorns, right? Like uh, my kids love collecting acorns and stuff. And uh, so we think about them a lot. And, you know, if you think about it, like, it all just depends where an acorn falls on the ground, right? Like in each acorn, there's this like power to just like unleash a whole forest of trees if it goes into the right soil. Uh, But one can easily just land on a sidewalk and nothing happens. It's the same acorn, same power, just different, uh, you know, opportunity to express itself. Um, and so that's what Jesus has in mind when he talks about our, our righteousness needing to exceed uh, even these great religious leaders who just do so much uh, by the book. He's saying like they're actually way off because they have this surface level righteousness. Uh, but we're meant to say, you know, I'm way off too. Like I dismiss people all the time. The command not to murder is like, it applies to me and I break it. And so Christians are people when they meet a murderer, Christians think, you know what? I'm so capable of that. Like, thank God I haven't been put in the situation where I'm, you know, I, I could easily do it. And so we don't turn our nose up at murderers or we don't think we're better than them. Which is why it's so good that Jesus has come. Because he doesn't just come to expose us through the law in this way, like we we may all feel exposed right now, but he's come to fulfill the law. So last point, the fulfillment of the law. 
Jesus says he's come to fulfill the law and the prophets, which is a way of saying that whole, you know, the whole Old Testament, the Bible that existed in that day, it's all about me, he says. Uh, the Bible culminates in him. And, you know, it's worth rehearsing the story, I think. Uh, in the Bible, in the law and the prophets, uh, God creates a beautiful world. And everything is perfect in it. And then he creates people within it. And the people are his true love. And he tells them how to live in the world because he's the only one that knows how. Uh, not because he's mean, but uh, he tells them how to live. And tragically, pride and self-centeredness make them uh, turn from him. And the result is they become murderous. Like sin enters the world in Genesis chapter 3. And the first murder happens in Genesis chapter 4. And it's not a coincidence. And God's response is, my people are too valuable to me but I can't change who I am. Like, I can't change my law. It's just essential to me, but I can save them if I fulfill the law for them. And that's when, that's where Jesus shows up. You know, enter Jesus, the one that the whole Testament points to, and he fulfills the law. And there's two ways you can fulfill the law. You could either obey it, like, think about like speeding, right? You can fulfill the law by not speeding, or you can also fulfill it by paying the penalty for breaking it. So uh, you could fulfill the law by, if, if you get caught speeding, paying your ticket. And either way, you know, like if someone checks your license, like a cop, they would see uh, if you have fulfilled the law, it would mean either you have no tickets or you've paid all your tickets. Okay, for Jesus to be the son of God, to save us, to save God's people, he has to fulfill the law in both ways. And so he does. Uh, he obeys. Like this Jesus never, can you imagine meeting a person who never ever in his heart or mind or with his words dismissed anyone? Who took everyone like really seriously in love uh, just someone who loves deeply every time. And thankfully, that's not all he does. Because if he just did that, that would be like this example that would just crush us because we could never live up to it. Uh, but the second thing he does is that not only does he obey in this way that's more than we could ever, ever, ever do, but he pays the price for us not obeying, which is not just death. Uh, it's being dismissed. It's having God the Father say, see ya. You know, the one that G Jesus and the Father and the Spirit have been together since eternity. And on the cross, the most painful thing wasn't suffocating to death, although that was painful. But the most painful thing was crying out to the one that he had been with for eternity and hearing nothing. And he did it, for, he was eternally rejected for you. And for those that trust in him, 
like this record of obedience, the way he fulfilled the law and obeyed it every time from the heart is actually transferred to us so that when God looks at you, he doesn't see all the times you've dismissed people and been a jerk and really murdered them in your heart, but he sees love and obedience and faithfulness because of what Jesus did being transferred to us. And he does, it, he does it for us because it's who he is, because it's what the law is all about. It's about love. Uh, so how can your righteousness then exceed the, that of the Pharisees? It can only happen when we realize that the one who gave the law is also our Savior. He didn't just give it to us so that we would fail, but he gave it to us because it's good. And when we couldn't fulfill it, he saved us. Anyway, and when you know that you're loved like that, then anger starts to fade and love starts to come pouring out. I heard this uh, story about a psychological study a while ago. Uh, It was with uh, only smart, uh, for whatever reason, smart guys. So guys who had gotten a perfect math score on their SAT. And the study had them all in a room on computers working on like really hard math problems. Uh, all, you know, same level of intelligence, uh, same math problems, and they're just working through it. And the only variable in the experiment is what kind of dad they had. And they kind of divided the guys into two categories. Uh, about half the guys had the kind of dad that was like, yes, son, like, I love you, we'll always love you. Like, anything you do, you know, I've got your back, like, you're the man. And the other guy, set of guys had this, the type of dad that was like, you know, A minus, like, you couldn't do better than that you know, what do you think this is? Like, you know, that kind of dad. And uh, during the experiment, they're all just like working on the problems and it's all, they're all like performing at the same level. And then subliminally, they flash a photo of everyone's dad on the screen uh, so quickly that like the eye doesn't even pick it up, but the brain picks it up. And what they notice is that the performance of the guys with the dad whose love is conditional, their performance starts to drop while the other guys stays the same or gets better. Okay, where you stand with the one that you're performing for matters. As you think about obeying, as you think about you know, resisting anger and loving instead, you won't do it unless you have the starting point of, I have a heavenly father who delights in me. I can't lose my standing with this father that matters. And when that's your starting point, you know, you'll be amazing. Like you'll love in ways that are just like truly incredible and you'll pursue people who wrong you and stuff like that. And it'll, you'll just be exactly who you were meant to be. You'll be more and more like Christ. Uh, So let me just close by praying that that would happen in our lives. Let's pray. Uh, Heavenly father, we, uh, your gospel is too good and, Uh, I pray that we would just delight in it. I pray that it would be our story and that you would make us people uh, that love. Uh, I pray that we would become people that resist anger, that we wouldn't 
be quick to dismiss others, but instead embrace them and that you'd be glorified. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.